This is the Post America Podcast. That's right, motherfucker. What the fuck you know about podcasting? This is our shit. Post America. Macho Black, Richie Crutch, Chrissy the Baboon. Post America Podcast, son. Download that shit, motherfucker. What's up, everybody? It's Richie back. Post-America Podcast here again. We got my man from Gloves Off today. We got Cody. How you doing, Cody? Good. How are you? I'm all right. Happy New Year, by the way. Happy New Year to you as well. (laughs) So, Cody, you've been rocking with Gloves Off for a while now. You know how much I dig the band. So I wanted to talk to you because you have a new release coming out. Give me some details. I I appreciate that you dig it, by the way means a lot to me. Well, if it's good, it's good. There's no denying good. You know what I'm saying? Appreciate that. So give me some uh, some details about what you have coming out. Uh, we have a new album out. It's a, it's a full length. Originally, we were going to do two seven inches, but then the world kind of fell apart. So it's like a two-part release, life, and then and everything after. It was supposed to be one congruent story all the way through. Cards were played differently. Now we have a full length. That's the four songs we released before, plus more now coming out as one full length on Upstate Records on January 28th. Damn. Okay. So was this pieced together then as far as the recording? Um, or did the, the recording all happen at once? No, nah, the first part, Life, which were the songs we released, I guess it was like two years ago now, right? Literally, we were on tour as COVID happened and came back promoting the album. Um, they were recorded and we had it set up to record the next couple within like six months. And then it got pushed to two years at this point because everything that happened. Yeah. Pain in the ass with that shit. Right. Yeah. I have a, I have a thing for like feelings and being theatrical. So I had this like thought process of like this epic monumental emotional release of just honest, I guess, metalcore at that point. And I just wanted it to be this epic thing. And it, it didn't really work out the way I wanted it to, but I still got to create something that was different. Yeah, it was definitely a good time to create, but not necessarily a good time to uh, to have things actually pressed and put out. And, you know, when it came to that, that facet of the industry, that shit was hard to do. But the creation part, yeah, it gave us some time alone. And uh if we wanted to, it gave us some time to create. I know you always go deep into the lyrical part of your albums. Was there any kind of like, like a, a key to these lyrics, like a, something that they all had in common, or are they just kind of random songs and, and and ideas? So one of the the main things that I write about a lot, and as, as sad as it is, is like mental health, death, and suicide, because I feel like it's a huge part of our society that is now starting to get more focused on, but it's not something that was always brought into the light and something that was spoken about with struggles. Mm-hmm. And I've always had like a, a weird fascination with um, depression, mental health, psychology, and death. And it's one of those things that um, I struggle with it every single day. So in order to write an album, when we sat down to talk about it, I was like, Hey, you know, I love hardcore. I love metal. I love pop punk. But uh, I want to do something that's a little off the beaten path. I don't want to just write some stuff that kids are going to yell back at me and dance to. I want it to have substance and meaning. And I want it to mean something in years to come that we were honest enough as a band with each other to write something that was so raw and just put out the right way. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned uh, suicide, depression. It does seem, could it be our age or... Is it something else? Why is it, does it seem so prominent lately? Like statistically, is it happening more often than it used to? I don't know if it's happening more often than it used to. I mean, maybe it's because we're getting older and then the weight of living in the society we have right now is starting to really get to people. And instead of like bearing it and, you know, finding other outlets, it's easier to give up. And I know that sounds really terrible, but it really is like the hardest part of living is living. Mm. Now, <laughs> I was, I was thinking the other day, I was thinking like, let's say someone is in the back of their mind. They sometimes think about suicide 
and uh you know it off and on throughout the throughout the time it, it pops in their head and they go to a doctor for a routine check and they find out they have maybe like a cancer or something like that mm-hmm. do you think it would change the perspective of their their thinking if they found out that they couldn't really be the one in control of their end if you understand i feel like that could go that could go two different ways either you know inevitably you're going to be suffering and there's an easy way out or it makes you kind of get like a kick in the ass and be like there's more i can do before my time's up and i can try to live it to its fullest i go back and forth between the two sometimes it's like I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to talk to no one. I just want to read books and be left alone. There's other times where I'm like, all right, I'm getting up at 7 a.m. going to the gym and trying to be more positive today. It's it's a back and forth like for everybody, I feel. Yeah. And I think I did hear statistically that it is more of a, of an issue than it was at least for younger people. Like and I'm talking younger, like teenagers and e- even yeah. younger than that. Like it's uh unprecedented time for suicide for like uh kids in grade school even stuff like that think about the pressure that's put on kids nowadays you can go to college for four years eight years whatever and still not be guaranteed a job and people you know everything is societal um where you are in life how much money you make what you have and like that's not none of that is guaranteed anymore even from let's say 10 years ago where people were going to college getting right out and getting jobs Mm. It's just so much more stress put upon the younger generation to be like, oh, you got to do good in school. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to go to college. You have to, you know, work really hard. And like, as a country, we work more hours than most other countries as well. And it really takes a toll on people's mental health. They don't have time with their families. They don't have time with their kids. And then in return, you're telling your kids that they have to do all this in order to succeed in life, but you don't even have quality time with them. So what do they really have to work for? Yeah, we are definitely overworked as a society. You can see those uh, those numbers kind of mind-blowing. It seems like we almost put ourselves in that situation, too. It's just the way we vote, the people mm-hmm. we follow. You know, it's for whatever reason, those sort of policy- policies appeal to people. That's hard work, work more, work more, more hours, more mm-hmm. hours. But at the end of the day, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm shot. I, I worked way too much over my time my body's feeling it my mind's feeling it so mm-hmm. i'd say to anybody if you could take a day off if you could not work and get by figure something else out by all means do it i, I mean i work i work in the construction field as well i'm a blue collar guy but i work all of my hours in an eight month period so i work anywhere from 50 to 75 hours a week depending on the rain and then i'm off every winter which is pretty much spent trying to get my home life in order for the couple months I'm home and then make up like make the most out of those couple months because I'm not here for eight months out of the year. Yeah, that's wild. It's almost like being like a guy in a fishing boat, right? Like that kind of job or something. Yeah. I mean, it always, for some reason, I, my, my, uh, my, my dad, um, is an actual like gypsy that always traveled my whole life. And I, I never really got to know him or anything until I was older, but like, I always just associate it long hours and working and then home on the winters because I'm from a construction family. So that's just what I've always known. I know in the winter, we're going to get along. We're going to have fun. We're going to have a good holiday. And then come spring, summer, I'm, I'm lucky if I can see you for a couple hours at the end of the night. Yeah. Damn. Where's your dad at now? Do you know? My dad lives 10 minutes from my front door. When did you finally uh, get to know him? Um, I met him. He was in my life for like my, my first like two or three years and then disappeared. And then I was at Kahunaville. In Bucks County here at the Ox Valley Mall when I was like 12 and he happened to be there with my brother and my sister. That's how I met my dad. What is that? Like a restaurant? Yeah, it was like a restaurant, like arcade, like think Dave and Buster's, but like okay, way older than that. And what did he say? He just came up to you or what? He came up to uh, me and my mom were talking at that time. We lost track over the last couple of years, but she just came up to me and was like, hey, I got to talk to you. And I was like, oh, this is cool, nonchalant. And she's like, hey, this is your dad. And I was like, oh, cool, cool, great. <laughs> Oh, that's wild. <laughs> did, yeah, you, <laughs> did, did you see anything like in him that like was like familiar at all uh, at that moment or no? Um, not really. My, my dad lived a really, really crazy life. My mom and my dad are only like 17 and 18 years older than me. They were, they were kids. Mm. So I'm kind of happy. I, I met him later on in life where he started to get his life together and uh, started to be like a better person. So I, I got to actually have some kind of a relationship with him because time took a toll. 
Mm, so because he had to slow down, basically. Yeah, he had to absolutely. Yeah, that's wild, man. You hear a lot of you know some stories like that with people in the scene and and uh, and their father, uh, their father and, and influences from their father. It seems a lot of uh, broken homes, you know, too, more than we would like, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm lucky. I had my grandma who is the best person in this world ever. She was actually like super big in the civil rights, super big in the psychology. So like my whole life growing up, the reason I'm probably so emotional and open about my feelings is because I'm straight up a grandma's boy. Is that on your mother's side or your father's side? That uh, that's my mom's side. I never met my dad's side except for his dad. Um, my mom's side, the only, that's the only side I'm really close to at all. And she's not around at the moment. Um, she is. I talk to her every single day. She's seventy something right now. My whole family's real young. They all had kids real young. Yeah. No, I mean your your mother. Uh, my mom, I don't speak to. She suffers really bad from mental health and has a lot of going on. And I just kind of keep it out of it. Mm, damn, that's wild stuff. So, so when you came, like, how did you come to get into like the whole music scene, like as cool. as a kid in that area? You're not. You're from outside of Philly. Like, where exactly? Uh, I'm from Bucks County. Um, I actually started going to punk rock shows because of kids I went to school with in like sixth or seventh grade. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was Planka Park back then in Ben Salem. And I saw still to this day, some of the wildest shows I've ever seen there. I just, the older kids liked me. Um, my grandma always let me go out with everyone. Most, most of my friends then were straight edge. So they didn't party. Mm-hmm. So it was completely normal for me to be like 13 or 14 and hopping in a van uh, with those dudes and going like to play Cafe Metropolis and up to New York and Boston and home for a weekend. Oh, Metropolis. Isn't that Bethlehem? Uh, Wilkes-Barre. Oh, that meant, okay. Yeah, you're right. I was thinking of some other one. And uh, we went on, I went on tour with a band called the Nids when I was like 13 and it was like a weekend with Big D and the kids table in a snowstorm. And that, that was my first time at Cafe Metropolis. Wow. Yeah. I remember that was in Kingston, actually Kingston PA. Yep. Yeah. And there was a strip club next door that somehow a 13 year old Cody got into. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. That we were just, uh, I had Nick, uh, Joka. I did mm-hmm. an episode episode with him about old Nepis stuff. And he brought up Metropolis and there was, he said there was actually two locations of Metropolis, but uh, which I totally mm-hmm. forgot. But now I'm trying to think of the place I'm thinking about in Bethlehem. What the fuck was the name of that place? Damn. It was cafe. Something. I think good people uh, owned it. It was like on a buy a McDonald's or Burger King was like across the street. It's not a cafe six eleven, is it? It could be. I don't know. I got the worst memories. In my mind. I just I, I don't have great memory either. But I remember being really young, and even like when Moya used to do like the DJ parties on South Street and stuff. I was like sixteen or seventeen, and they were sneaking me in that. I think it was like Club Two and Five or something. Like that. I don't know. Something weird. Wow, that's dope. So you're in in the scene, the music scene, anyway, at an early age. Mm-hmm. And uh, at what point do you kind of? you know, different, differentiate. How do you say that? Differentiate. Uh, <laughs> see the differences between like the stuff you would end up being more involved in like this style, like gloves off style. When was it when you saw that, that element of the, of the underground music scene? Um, when I was real young, shows were everything. Music was everything. I was always trying to be in a band. And then when I got older, I happened to get caught up in some really crappy stuff. I got in trouble for a while. And then when I finally decided to like get my life together, hardcore never really left. It was always there. And uh, this is probably like six, six, seven, seven years ago now that I started coming back. And I, it was just like the right time. I had to find myself in order to find out what I wanted, whether it be within the scene or within myself. And um, it just so happens that people I surrounded myself with, with gloves off, I, I listen to pop punk all day. I love pop punk and I don't hide that from anybody, but uh, the dudes in my band are super in the metal. They all shred and uh, it's pretty much just a group, a group input. They could write a, a whole screamo album tomorrow and I would still do it. It doesn't matter as long as I'm with those guys playing music. Mm, so you feel the uh, chemistry with those guys. Yeah. We're all miserable and getting old. It's great. Mm-hmm. And how's like uh, the whole situation for you guys, like practicing and writing? Do, uh, do you do like the, you know, the newer school way when people just kind of text somebody else a riff or, or, or something they, they worked on on the computer, or do you actually get together face to face and belt some stuff out? Um, we practice every single Monday. Um, also Ethan, my guitar player, who's like one of the other 
main writers in the band lives with me. So it's, it's really easy for us just to kind of like text each other back and forth. But um, all of us live within five minutes of my house. Oh, that's great. So even if, even if I'm stuck on night shift for like a couple months or whatever, they, they have their own keys and they just come here and jam. Yeah, that's great. That makes things a lot easier. And I think yeah. I could I could feel that like when I hear the the songs that you guys are putting out, it's like quality stuff. Thank you. No, no doubt. So, uh, you mentioned you used to get in trouble a lot, and then you got out of. What were you doing? What the fuck were you up to? <laughs> um, I, I come from a family that has a lot of drug and alcohol problems. So growing up, I didn't look at it as a bad thing. I kind of just looked at it as it was normal. And um, just like with anything, sometimes it takes a hold of you, and you, you kind of lose yourself and uh, get real caught up in being numb to everything in the world. Like when when you grow up having a broken home or a hard life, which I definitely did. I'm not going to like sugarcoat it. You kind of find whatever escape you can with, with most people it's music or friends. Sometimes it goes the darker route and it's drugs and alcohol and you kind of get lost in it until you just had enough. What made you had have enough? Um, I think just emotionally I was done. I mean, I did drugs for fuck, 10, 15 years mm. and um, it just took its toll on me. I mean, I was skinny. I wasn't eating. I was homeless for a while. I lost track of all my friends, all my, my, my family. I just got stuck in this shell of a person who I thought was okay. And I just wasn't in one day I had a, uh, the best man at my wedding, my buddy, Tyler glass had, he's got, I don't know, 14 years sober now or something like that. He showed up at my grandma's house. I was like, Hey man, you know, enough's enough. I'm not burying you. Um, like, I love you and I care about you. You're going to get in the car with me and we're going to go get help. And I did. I never looked back. Wow. Respect on him. Yep. He's the man. He's five foot tall of all fury. Yeah. Great wedding, by the way. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that was your grandmother's house, right? That, that is the house that I, I grew up in when I wasn't living with my mom or other family members. Yep. I love that location. It was so dope, bro. I didn't, I didn't appreciate it when I was a kid, but now that I'm older, I appreciate it to a different standard because my family helped build that house and it's been a household since like the 1750s yeah it's insane it's so cool and at that little cemetery right near there and shit like all the cool names of the roads all over the place and when i was driving to it i was like all stoked i was like yo this is i love those kind of areas of pa you know the real historical kind of kind of vibes yeah i i honestly i love it and i'm right near new hope new town like all of bucks county and uh it was even nice when i was younger that we could get my friends that lived in the city out and like have like a pool party and barbecue and like get them out of their element. So everyone had a place to go to relax. Yeah. Cause it's not too far out of Philly, right? It would take you 40, not 30, 20 40 minutes, minutes, 20 minutes, 25, 25 minutes from Northeast Philly. Beautiful. Yeah. That's great. Great location. Hmm? And I was watching uh, grandma. She looked very excited during the whole event. Uh, so. She's the best man. She, uh, the world doesn't, the world deserves more people like that yeah it would be nice right yeah yeah if everybody got handed one of those respect yeah, i got lucky I mean, I mean i got really lucky that she really put all of her time and effort i mean i'm pretty much another kid of hers she doesn't look at me as her grandson i'm just the youngest out of everybody mm, gotcha gotcha and uh, how does she like how does she still deal with your mother or how does she feel about the whole situation um she talks to my mom maybe like once a week um my, my mom has severe mental problems to the point where it's kind of exhausting to even deal with her because it's always something going on. And I think at this point it's still my grandma's daughter, but at the same time she needs to live out her life and be happy and relax and not have all this stress. I mean, my grandma's my best friend. I talk to her once a week because I don't want to add any more stress to her life. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's uh, the whole mental illness thing. It's like a, I guess luck of the, like bad luck of the draw, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I got, I got a good friend and, uh, you know, I did probably listen, so I don't want to say too much, but yeah, there's just some issues in the family and it's just like by no fault of anybody's, you know? So it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's real sad stuff. I, I recently started, um, like more one-on-one -on -one therapy this year. Um, I always thought I had this, you know, bipolar stuff because I have like mood swings and I can't really control them. I don't want to take meds because I don't like taking pills, but I started therapy this year and was re-diagnosed as having like BPD, which is something that there is 
no cure for. A lot of it's like trauma-based, but it's something that I'm learning to live with and communicate when I'm like having certain feelings, which like is super weird to be 34 years old and just learning how to communicate feelings. And it becomes kind of overwhelming, but it's something I'm going to have to do in order to have like, you know, a successful you know, relationship with my wife, successful relationship with my friends. And it's, it's a lot to learn, but at least there's, um, literature and people in place to help you start figuring out your mental health nowadays. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, you know, respect, even looking into it and dealing with it because, you know, if, you know, there are cases where people are capable of that and they still don't do that. You know, some cases people mentally ill, like the mental problems, they can't even do that and you can't even blame them. You know, that's not even, a possibility but in some cases people for whatever reason you know they they avoid the help or the potential for help and uh that's good that you're you're taking it serious at least well find, finding help is like the hard part because that means you actually have to like work on things and work on yourself and no one really wants to do that because it's hard yeah yeah nobody wants to do anything hard me included like you know what i mean it's you don't want to fucking work out you don't want to you know, if, if the way you make money is to work long hours, you don't want to work long hours, but it fucking sucks. That's, that's the, uh, life's dilemma, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. To get what you want might take some effort. That effort will not come without cost. You know what I mean? And, uh, it's hard to just start that start, you know, the very first I'm, step. I'm, a, is I'm a very, I'm a very big component and things are always difficult before they're easy. So when you want to get into the groove of doing something, whatever it is, it's always going to be difficult at first. Yeah, definitely. That's almost like common sense, but people don't, don't see it like that with <laughs> anything before you, you know, a guitar player, you know, you could give on, you give up on playing guitar real quick because in the beginning it, it doesn't seem like anything's getting done. It's hard. Then yeah. after a while, when it just comes natural, then you're actually, you're a music writer now. And then you're playing things your own way. And now you're showing somebody else how to do it. You know, it's uh but at first, yeah, you're totally right. Everything's always a uh, always hard at first. It it will get easier. I get lucky because I have the easiest job in my band. I just go up there, write crazy poetry, and yell. It, it's really not. I don't look at it as that difficult. It's more along the fact of keeping the emotions going during a live show. Mm. But like those other dudes are like the real talent. Like you want to talk about writing stuff and making things work and pushing themselves. That's all those guys. Yeah, at the same time, though, clever lyrics in itself is a a skill, you know, whether it comes natural, whether it was worked on, it's not everyone can can do that. And uh, you could, you know, you could pick out the bands that have the the, the clever wordplay compared to the ones that are just kind of, you know, silly and real simple and there's not much effort put into them, you know, so yeah, there's, there's something to be said, like, uh, you don't don't downplay that role It's real, real important. I just think I just think that like my biggest thing with this release coming out is I'm actually really excited for people to read my lyrics. I actually I really am. There you go. And if and if you weren't excited for that, it meant you just half-assed it and you just relied on on dope riffs and good music behind you and maybe a good tone in your voice. But the mm -hmm. fact that you want people to to read these lyrics, you know, that that means that at the very least you're 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 happy with your work, you know what I mean? So there was there was work involved. And that, that's literally how I feel too right now. Like I'm really happy with all this coming out and I get to not so much have a guard up all the time where either people are like, Oh, he looks angry or he's like too hyper. It's I'm just being myself and I'm allowed to write about it. And it's kind of a freeing experience to not care what people think of you because you're being honest with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty dope to put stuff out there that might even, you know, you might, people might be like, Oh, surprised. You know, I remember, you know, certain bands and i'll be surprised with some of the lyrics because it might put them in uh a light that kind of is different than people assumed before they read the lyrics you know what i mean and that's i used to write all of our songs about 90s movies because i needed some kind of subject matter because i didn't want to be honest i just wanted to have fun and then it got to a point of if i'm putting all this time into a band and so are these guys why not make it something that's going to last years to come and actually leave a dent on you as a person on wax yeah 
that's the kind of or the kind of lyrics that somebody would tattoo on their skin you know it just hits them hard that's the kind of stuff you want now exactly. do you do you ever have like issues with the other band members do they examine your lyrics do they ever critique or or put in their own uh, ideas when it comes to, to I mean, lyrics I, I write all year long i'm actually working on a poetry book that's going to be coming out in probably the spring um, I write all year long and me and Ethan will usually sit down and try to, we'll have some kind of melody in mind. My problem is melodies. I can yell over anything, but there's always a more creative way that when more people's hands are in the pot, they might see something that you don't see. So it's usually me and Ethan and um, Brian mock our bass player that sit down and try to fit things where they want to go. And then I just rewrite them to make it happen. But honestly, no one's ever complained about any of my lyrics. Everyone's just like, this is perfect. Do it. Good, good. They keep their mouth shut. They mind their business. <laughs> they nah. definitely don't keep their mouth shut. Everyone in my band likes now, to would, talk. Now, would you chime in on, on their riffs and the song structures, the music at all, or no? Uh, the first two years of the band, every time they're like, what do we do next? It's like, breakdown. That's about the most I've contributed to their writing process. So you, I let them do whatever they want. Gotcha. That's cool. It's a good dynamic. Everybody getting along. Yeah, I mean, like, they'll, when, we, when we're sitting down there, I usually get stuck on night shifts, so they'll have months of band practice without me, which really sucks. I'm actually thinking about maybe changing jobs so that way I can have a steady, scheduled life and maybe be a little healthier. But um, they'll send me stuff and get my opinion on it. They'll record every practice, just like a video. And, like, they do ask my opinion, but honestly, those guys, I trust them with everything they're doing. They could write a whole album that sounds like the postal service. And I would sing on it. I don't care. Got you. Now, how many releases up to date do you have? Uh, we have a demo. We have a split. We do with time spent in cemeteries back in the day. We did born broken on fast break with y'all. Then we did life, life and everything after. And I think there's like a single or two in there too, that we put out. So like six or seven releases. Is this newest and latest release? Is this, you're proudest so far? Absolutely. I I have had a really, really hard year um, with a lot of things going on. And this is the first time I put everything into music. And it felt really good to not hold anything back. Nice, nice. And what do you think? Like, what are the, the influences or the sounds people might think are familiar when they listen to gloves off is there another band you guys are into or just the sound in general vibe um there's so many good bands doing what our umbrella kind of fits over that band vatican behemoth uh chamber all bands that just incorporate metal with hardcore and just put on a good live show with creative ways in and out of parts and of course they're still dancing and everything which is great but there's just so many good bands right now. Boundaries. There, there's a lot of really good bands doing somewhat of what we do. Nice. You said Bohemoth? Bohemoth is our guitar player's favorite band. That's all he listens to. I always see that logo everywhere. I got to check them out. I get screwed. I don't listen to metal because I'm angry enough for everybody already. Mm. So they'll be like, what do you mean you didn't listen to us? I'm like, dude, just send it to me. If you want me to hear something, just send it to me. Because if not, I'm going to listen to sad music all day long. Mm. What would you be listening to on your own, on your own time? Uh, pop. Honestly, pop punk. I've been real stuck on this band called Hot Mulligan, this band called Origami Angel, and this other band called Spanish Love Songs, which the dude is just miserable, but so creative with the way he writes lyrics. Oh, you mentioned that band to me. I remember that. Oh, it's just something about being in my mid thirties now and like realizing that other people feel the same way I do about whether people they grew up with or the social scenes around them or people being so stuck on drinking and going to the bar and that's their life and just being miserable about it. There's just so many things I connect with, with that band. Nice. And how about, this is a super tough question, but how about the, your favorite band of all time? Who would that be? Oh, dude, that's rough. <laughs> I got I got a favorite band in like each category. Um, favorite band well, is pop punk your favorite category? Honestly, yes, yes. All right, favorite Absolutely. band in that that realm, pop punk. Ooh, I'm gonna go with the punches. They're from upstate New York. Damn, I never heard of that. Uh, it's pop punk with breakdowns. I got to see them right around when I started getting sober, and the, the amount of energy that goes into their show. I can't relive that moment if I tried. Are they big? 
uh, they were big for a while. They toured with the movie life and all those guys. Now they play maybe two or three shows a year. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Never heard of it. Um, I, and I randomly messaged them the other day and I don't know anyone in that band and supposedly they're recording new stuff. So like, they're still all best friends. I know one of the members lives in Lancaster. The rest of the guys are in upstate New York, but, uh, something about that band just found me at the right time and hit me at the right time in life. Very cool. Very cool. Nice obscure band for the listeners to check out and, and hardcore. I mean, I've spent the last shit, 22 years in hardcore. Yeah. I love going to hardcore. There's nothing that will ever change the way I feel at a hardcore show or singing hardcore lyrics live. But when I'm driving, I already want to kill everybody. So I got to put on something happy with some dude crying over girls or his life falling apart. Because if not, I'm just going to be really aggressive. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, how about your favorite live hardcore band? Who would that be? Incendiary, actually. Such a dope band, bro. Right. There, there's something I never got into that band when I was younger and I saw them. I just went to New York to see them with my friend the other day too, like a couple weeks ago or whatever. There's something about the energy that band puts into a live show too. And it looks like it's effortless. Yeah. It looks real. I mean, it just looks authentic they're, and the music is just really cool. Great. And there, there's other bands like that too. Like that band inclination too. that band oh. does it real hard. Well, so I, never, I don't know if I've ever seen them live, but they're, yeah, they're, they're songs, you know, so dope. I saw them with our buds at FYA fest. Like I guess it was like two years ago now. And the, the singer got a bloody nose in the first second and didn't skip a beat. And the amount those kids jumped in his face is something that whenever you're a front man of a band, that's what you look for, for your band to do one day. That could have been the, the start of Corona. It probably was the catalyst of, of Corona. <laughs> Look at that. You named two dope hardcore bands that both start with the letter I. Incredible. Yeah, that was not that was not planned out. Incredible also starts with I. Yes. I like that. I like I like it at that. Do you listen to any hip hop or now? I listen to hip hop literally probably three times a week all day long. I listen to everything out on Rhyme Sayers, whether it's like Brother Ali, uh Dem Atlas, POS, Astronaut. It's like real creative smart rap uh sage francis i'm huge on um i listen to the the classics obviously like big l dead prez i mean i have a giant portrait of old dirty bastard on my leg for the rest of my life big l that's some classic shit big l is my number one all time i think honestly when it comes to wordplay and style he is number one big l rest in peace dude something about that too like 1996 had some wild hip-hop yeah great like uh it was a combination of when when great lyricists could also potentially be mainstream. You know, absolutely. Now, now great lyricists just won't be mainstream. You know, the great and lyricists. That, that's really sad because there's there's great lyricists out there. There is that, yeah. that if they don't have the right beat that you like, you don't listen to it. Oh yeah, totally. But even like I think almost being a great lyricist now is like detrimental to uh, to the social media numbers and and that the play on that. It's just. You know, you got to in order to make it as a rapper, you have to have a speech impediment. It seems nowadays that sounds about right. But also you have to market yourself towards what the trends are. And I'm not about that. That's why I play hardcore. You can't tell me I got to do anything. I'm going to do whatever I want. And if you like it, cool. If you don't like it, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. No, hip hop now is in a state of disgrace. Yeah. Now, Little Peep was great, though. I'm gonna be honest with you. Little Peep, some real sad stuff. I actually really liked it. I don't know nothing about no little son, but L- Little Peep, dude. Even Joe Stanley loves him. He's real sad. Little Peep, like you know those those, th- those things in Bethlehem, those marshmallow things. They're peeps, right? They are peeps. You are correct. <laughs> but uh, not- Little Peep, Little Peep died like a year or two ago. He just made like really sad uh, SoundCloud rap, and but it was like smart. Mm. Little Pete, like rest it. in peace. Yeah. Big L, rest in peace. Little <laughs> Pete, rest in peace. Yeah, some, something about hip-hop, though. Even, like, if I'm at the gym lifting or whatever, I can put on either, like, battle rap or something even aggressive and get the greatest pump ever, just as if I put on, you know, For the Love Of or just some, like, crazy beat down, like, Bulldoze or something. Mm, yeah. Yeah, some rap has that vibe. Yeah. Who, who was I just listening to the other day? Fucking, what's the guy? He does the alphabet, you know. Uh, Mac Lethal? Nah, he's got the crazy name. Papoose. 
Oh, Papoose. Yeah, Papoose got lyrics. So he's a pretty clever dude. I listened to Nas New York State of Mind four times on repeat on the drive the other night. Oh, come on. That's so dope. Sometimes I'll just be driving and like the sun's right. No one's pissing me off. Yo, that bass line. Yeah. And and a song will come on a playlist. I have a a rap playlist called Truth Speakers. And it's all like smart hip hop throughout the 90s, 2000s, whatever have you. And sometimes one of those songs come on there, either that. Uh, Brother Ali, Forrest Whitaker, Atmosphere Always Coming Home, like certain songs uh, will just hit me and I'll have to repeat it just because I don't want to lose that feeling in that moment. Yeah, no, for sure. And nothing else does that to me, just music. Mm, You're a musical guy, baby. That's it. I am. I am. That's why you're in this tribe. I am definitely in this tribe for a reason. (laughs) Yeah, no no doubt. This is a very, you know, uh, like the hardcore scene is so weird. It's if you put it on paper, it makes no sense. There's no pursuit of money, you know, which is totally abnormal when it comes to music. Maybe no, like even, go, go ahead, go ahead. Even, and even the people that are here trying, like whether it be bands, spectators, whatever, the people that are here for recognition or to be a part of something. I mean, yeah, you're a part of it and everything, but like when you're yourself, that's when you outlast everybody else. You just be honest with who you are. If you're not there for anything other than that release and the camaraderie, you'll last. But I mean, a lot of people lose their way through because they're just not there for the right reasons sometimes. That's right, baby. No fronts, no tricks, no soapbox no. politics. Like Doggy Dog said. <laughs> you're right. You're right. See, baby, we always throw a lyric in there when necessary. Absolutely. Absolutely. And honestly, like some of my closest friends for the last, you know, 20 years, I lost track of them for a couple of years. And when I came back around, they were the first people to hit me up. Be like, yo, what do you need? You all right? You want to talk? You want to get food? You want to go to the diner? You want to go to a show? Those are friendships that people don't understand. Like when, when we hop in a van and drive six hours down to, you know, North Carolina, or, you know, we go down to Florida once a year, those friendships are things that stand the test of time, no matter how long you don't speak to them. And there's people that I've been seeing for 20 years now at shows that are still the same people that I met all those years ago, just growing up and growing. Yeah, it's very unique. And uh, it could be exclusive to our lifestyle because when I remember old or by chance, see an old high school pal, it's they just never had that experience. And I'm almost yep. sad for them, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was just work and, you know, maybe they kept track of uh, a friend or two, or maybe they got a new friend when they had a kid and they met somebody on their kid's baseball team's father or something, you know, but they mm-hmm. just don't have these long standing relationships that kind of, you know, survive the test of time and, and seem to never need a reintroduction, things like mm-hmm. that. It's just kind of like it, it is like it always is regardless of time in between. The, th- the thing that blows my mind is like, even like my wife's friends and stuff, like they don't understand how like we can just like hop in a van, lose money and go just drive to see our friends because we miss them. And like the reality is even when something bad happens in a friendship in our lives now, at least for me, I'll be like crushed over something bad happening or, or something going down. And people are like, oh, you have all these friends. Why does one matter? Well, that one person is a piece of a giant puzzle. That makes me me, and it sucks to lose a piece of the puzzle when there's only so few puzzle pieces that actually fit you. Yeah, it's a good way to put it because that that is how it is. And uh, mm-hmm. as time goes on, you know, there's there's new pieces of the puzzle puzzle that come in, and that's important. But the ones that we lose are irreplaceable. You know, it's like cornerstones. You know how like when you start a puzzle, you try to do the outside first. That way, you can build off it. Yeah you lose a corner piece, you're kind of screwed, man. And I, I look at every person as, as a piece of a puzzle that makes me, me and to learn more about myself. I got someone I could call for anything at any point in time. And that's because I've been that person to them too. Yeah. You're a reliable person and now you're surrounded by reliable people. Yep. And uh, yeah, that's, that's part of the whole game. That's the only reason that's the only way to stay in this thing. You know, you can't have a bad reputation and being hardcore for too long, you know, eventually I mean, catch up. To e- even as an example, you know, I won't talk to our friend Joe McKay for, for months at a time. And as soon as I see him, we don't skip a beat. Sometimes life catches up, but those friendships are always there and they're always willing to be there for you for whatever you need. And, and people like that, you don't find that in other communities. You just, I'm sorry, you don't. 
Yeah, you're right. You're right. How'd you ever meet Joe, uh, Joe McKay anyway? Uh, I met Joe when I was young. I hung out on South Street a lot when I was like 16 or 17. Um, I met him from shows of the church when I was real young. I always used to go with my buddy Pookie and a bunch of those dudes. So I always met Joe. Always was kind of scared of Joe. Not going to lie. Mm. And uh, over, the, over the years, he became one of my closer friends that I know I can honestly trust and call him at any point in time. And he can do the same with me. But maybe when I was younger, I was paying the ass. So maybe it was a good thing we became friends when I was an adult. <laughs> I, I'm, did I know you when you were younger? I must have at least seen you around, right? Like, you probably saw me around. I used to be not very social, the opposite of what I am now. Now I talk and I'm open and comfortable. When I was younger, I was always the little kid with all the older kids. So I minded my P's and Q's and paid attention. Got you. Got you. Very interesting. Uh, layout of the par core scene when you really analyze it interesting yes it is and I, got, I got lucky palanca park is literally six blocks from where i live right now where me and my wife live over here in like um bucks county yeah and i never realized how much that was going to mean to me in the long run of the person i would become and the, the people i surround myself with i mean even one of the guys that was in my wedding party i met him at my first palanca park show in 1999 I was only born in 1987. Palanca Park. See, I'm not told, I'm totally unaware of this. Like, what is that place? Uh, I think you played Palanca Park back in the day. Back in the like, Park. With We're talking 1998, 1999. Remember the All Else Feld video where he does the backflip off the PA speakers? Shit, that sounds familiar. That was there? That was Palanca Park. They used to have, every weekend would have shows, and it'd be five, 600, 700 kids. And then eventually the chandelier got pulled down. They stopped doing shows. But regardless, it was a really good couple years. And anything there now? No. Um, it's still Planka Park. You can still rent it out, but it costs like a lot, a lot of money. Um, I haven't seen a show there since whew, I was probably 18, 19, maybe even younger, 17. And is it something to do with Polish heritage or something? Palanca Park. What the hell is that? Yes, mean? it is. It, it is definitely Polish heritage. It's just like any other, like, uh, you know, like Ancient Order of the Hibernians will have like a spot you can rent or like gotcha. they have the. Uh, What's that? The VFW over here in Levittown. See, that's some PA shit right there. Like Planka Park. Yes, it is. Polish kind of social club that rents it out to the people. Yeah, that's that's cool. <laughs> and, and honestly, we used to have a ton of places like that. It's just over time, sometimes that release you get from hardcore kind of destroys some places and friendships. And you got to kind of learn from it. When I was younger, I destroyed everything. And now I'm a little more respectful of the places that give us a place. Yeah. Yeah. As a kid, you don't, you don't think long-term, but at a certain point, we're kind of like, mm, these things are a few and far between. Let's not destroy this, you know? Correct. And uh, let's go back to gloves off though. We got to, <laughs> we got to get this, th this word out. We're going to play a song at the end, if that's okay with you at the end of this podcast. Absolutely. What song are we going to play? Uh, it's called my death is a banquet or my death was a banquet. It's um. do you remember the movie Eddie and the cruisers when you were younger? Dark side's coming now. Nothing is real. Okay, so it's I got real obsessed with Arthur Rimbaud's season in hell when I was a kid. My grandma and me used to watch Eddie and the Cruisers like all the time. Okay. I got real obsessed with like French literature and Arthur Rimbaud, and I, I wrote a whole song about it because all he does is write about death and dying and crazy weird feasts with devils and stuff, and it just kind of connected with me and went with the subject matter. Mm, got you. That's crazy. Hmm? I didn't realize I like, it was like that. Yeah, I like, um, well, Arthur Rimbaud, he faked his own death after he was like writing. He got addicted to absinthe and would sleep next to the dead bodies in France during World War One and write about it. Damn. And then he faked his own death and no one knew who he was until the day he died on his deathbed. He called for his sister and he finally was like, yeah, I've been alive this whole time. I'm dying later. That's a nutty dude. Uh, really spoke to me. I like really uh, elaborate people that do crazy things that other people wouldn't do. Mm, yeah not many would do that no and he um i never was into poetry when i was a kid and then i remember just whenever in eddie and the cruisers they would talk about this book and how obsessed he got with it as a front man and a musician i just pushed myself to really get into like you know um bukowski um love is a dog from hell i got real big into like even like the outsiders, like Robert Frost, Nothing Oak Can Stay, all his poems. I got, I just got really into poetry when I was a kid. And when I was a kid, 
people were real weird about it because you're not used to a kid being in touch with their feelings and stuff. So it's something I grew into as I got older. Mm. Yeah, that's true. If you got a kid who's like into poetry, you're kind of like, wait a minute. I got to get this kid on the football team. Yeah, this kid's definitely watched way too many Lifetime movies with his grandma. (laughs) But yeah, um, that's the new single that's coming out. Um, I'm really, really happy with it. I got to do... I got to let the music shine in certain parts more now instead of trying to fit lyrics in where it doesn't need it. And I can let the song breathe and let them do their thing. And it fits with what we're doing. And how many songs are on this, this uh, newest release? Um, the newest release. Well, I think it's coming out as one whole. Uh-huh. So it's going to be the four, four from before and another four or five. I can't even remember right now. Honestly, it's been like a two year separation. Mm which has been like the hardest part for me trying to keep like the same thought process for the whole thing. But yeah. uh, the, other, the other one was, was four songs. This one is five songs. Okay. And it comes it come, out. When's it come out? Uh, it comes out January 28th and it comes out as one full length release. So it's the four songs from before and the five songs now physical or just digital or what? Um, this is all physical. The CDs have already come in. We're still waiting on the plant for the vinyls and the pre-order is going to be up for like another two or three weeks on upstate records, uh, website. Well, I got to get one. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, uh, vinyl pre-orders are real. I mean, not just vi- ordering vinyl in general, like waiting for the, the pressing times are out of hand. Yeah. I mean, we've had this recorded and mastered since August. Yeah. And it's just what we had to do in order to get it out the way we wanted to. Yeah. No, you got to plan ahead if you want vinyl right now. That's for sure. And these idiots are already writing like two or three new songs as it is. Like we can't, we have to release something at least once a year. You're better off. Do it. Unless, you know, you got to be self-regulating too. If you don't think it's good and don't put it out just to put shit out. But if you could, the more shit you put out, the better especially for your base, the people that are going to always dig this stuff, you know? And it's, it's usually like the random weird stuff that uh, a single or something that, that brings like new heads into it. Like it's always, it's always the followers that they love your new album. Oh, you got a new album. They're with it. It's those, you know, if you guys did like, you know, a random little thing, a song on a compilation, a cover song, that's what brings in new, new heads, you know? So that's good. That's the other thing too. I never, all my friends are hardcore dudes. I don't, I don't know a lot of metal heads or nothing like that. That's the rest of my band. But at this point I want to start playing more metalcore shows, metal shows, and like obviously still play hardcore shows, but I feel like we can fit on so many different shows that could broaden the horizon of people to find us. And I don't even want people to find us to like make it more popular or anything. I really just want people to enjoy what we like and what we write. And if, if you ride with us, cool. If you don't, that's cool too. But like, this is not really just for the listener. This is for us too. Totally, man. Yeah. No, you guys could definitely do well on, on more metalish style shows for sure. Either that or they'll completely hate us because we're kind of jerks. Go up there with a wig on, but get some uh, pony city wings or some high tops. Go up there with a wig and see what happens. Well, I got beautiful hair in these tube socks. I could totally do it. Metal is a funny business. It is a funny business. You know, it's kind of like. Uh, it's it's like hardcore with the gimmick as yep. far as because they're looking they're looking for that you know and that's fine you know a lot of these bands they'll have a booking agent and a lawyer before they have a song these metal bands and uh mm-hmm. they'll dip their toes in hardcore shows early on because just to get in in front of actual heads but as soon as they don't have to that's a wrap with that you know otherwise it's how do you start a metal band H- high school battle of the bands you know what i mean it's kind of like Pretty they much. Yeah, they don't have this luxury of the the, the early kind of platform uh, that a hardcore band would have. You know, the hardcore band's first show, sometimes they come out and just fucking they're playing to a packed club right off the bat. You know, it's like you never know what hardcore is an odd thing. Our, uh, our first show was opening for the Acacia Strain in Philly. There you go, baby. And we only had like three songs. <laughs> Acacia Strain. Is that your style of stuff or no? Um, that's both of my guitar players are super influenced by them. Um, I actually just worked their shows last week and, uh, they're fun. It's not for me. Uh, I like what they do. I love his voice structure and how he writes. It's just, I like seeing it live. I don't want to just drive around and listen to it all day because then I'm just pissed. And where, uh, where'd you, where'd you work with them? Was that the church? 
Uh, the first there was two night show. The first night was Underground Arts. The second night was the church, and the church was dope. The church was. I'd still on my top five places. I need to play. You never played the church? No, I have not. You should have been on that show. <laughs> what the uh, I'll fuck play any Joe show. McKay? Why wasn't <laughs> gloves off on that gig? You know what? I look at it. I'm still earning my spot here. And the more I support and the more I help out my own scene, the more people will want to help us out. And, you know, it takes effort to keep a scene going, especially when Philadelphia, in my opinion, is the Mecca of what we do. And uh, it takes a lot of hands to keep that going. And sometimes you got to put in work and put in work. And when something comes along that you fit on, people recognize no, no doubt. You're right. I'm being crazy. I should keep my mind. <laughs> Don't be wrong. I would have played the shit out of that show and I definitely would have made it awesome. But oh, you would have rocked it. You would have killed that show for sure. <laughs> yeah. Kids would have been going home with a new favorite band. I guarantee after that shit. Absolutely. <laughs> That's so, cool. yeah, we got we got all this stuff going on. Um, I'm hoping that people really do like this release and we can play some more shows and hopefully the world doesn't keep falling apart. We're always going to be living in a pandemic, but I would like to have my therapeutic release of playing shows and yelling about how miserable I am to other kids faces. Yeah, for real. And kids need it right now. They need that. They need your style of vocals. They need honesty. They need pure honesty of aggression. I literally want to be the angriest frontman of a metalcore band that you like to talk to after we're done playing. Who currently is the angriest metalcore frontman? I can tell you the angriest hardcore frontman right now is definitely hooligan. Definitely Mike. Oh, when he died. Oh my God, dude. When he's playing, I'm just like, yeah, you're angry. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. You got that right. Uh, angriest metalcore singer. I don't know. Everyone I meet in metalcore bands are super nice. Yeah. That's the thing. I don't know much about metalcore, but I'm thinking when I think metalcore, I think pretty. Am I, am I wrong in this? I'm not trying to diss or be a hater. I'm just thinking like, I'm thinking pretty, like maybe bangs, you know, like is this. <laughs> Is this the wrong genre I'm thinking of? Because I, 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 I think really so. don't I know think my shit. Okay. You're thinking more about like the screamo genre. Of, ah, like, okay. All right. Who's um, metalcore? Like, just scre screamo example. Uh, Sayosin, that dude Anthony Green sang for them. I mean, I like screamo. I, I don't give a shit. It was popular when I was in high school. So if so I So screamo, to get is it emo metalcore? Is that what? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Makes sense with the name. Yeah, but like metalcore nowadays, you have bands like um, that band Keonashi, Rono and Peo's band in Philly, that are just super artsy and all over the place. And you can't call them a hardcore band because of how they write. You can't call them a straight metal band because of how they write. So it just fits mm. under this umbrella of metal mixed with hardcore. Same thing with that band Chamber. Or if you ever listen to Vatican, Vatican is phenomenal. They are top tier of I know, what I know the name. I got to check them. Oh, they're amazing. It's, I love a lot of metalcore music, and it's usually the vocals that do me in where I'm like, ah. Yeah. Even think Knocked Loose. Knocked Loose is a metalcore band. Gotcha. Yo, yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you're, there you go. Your guys' friends in um, Code Orange, metalcore band. Yeah, totally. You're right. You got that. You got that. So, so I know yeah, I would, I would totally fit on like a metalcore show with like Code Orange or Knocked Loose or anything like that. And like, it just. Now, so why are they considered kind of hardcore bands at the same time? Those two, especially that you just mentioned. Uh, for me personally, is it just like their early, you know, moves within the scene that they were kind of in the mix? Is that what it, what it I was? I think so. Honestly, it's it's more of like you can put any band in the hardcore genre as long as they got two step parts, some breakdowns, and crowd participation. Got you. Okay, that's me personally. I mean, that might not be the answer. That might not even be a sufficient answer. But to me personally, that's what I would put in the category because it's such an open ended uh, invitation. There's no right or wrong answers, Cody Mack. We just do what we do, baby. I, I think every band that could be considered in the hardcore scene should have three components. There should be dance parts, crowd participation, one, and emotion. And emotion, you said last one? Yep. Dance part, crowd participation, emotion. The three Cody rules of hardcore. Those are my three. They're probably not the best three, but in my world, those are the three. I like it. I like it. Emotion. Yeah. Some bands are emotionless, but they're still like hardcore, no? I some some bands are machines, yeah. honestly. Like they're just steady, the same thing, which is fine. I mean, that does it for some people. Um, but yeah, for me personally, I need more emotion when it comes to things. I need people to be real. Now I like I like uh 
Modern Life is War, that band. But do you like that kind of stuff, that kind of hardcore or no? I do. I do actually. I really like Modern Life is War. I liked Blacklisted. Early Blacklisted I thought was super emotional and just raw and filled with with feelings. Mm-hmm. Even though they started as a hardcore band, you know, when you get um was it heavier than heaven, heavier than hell or whatever it is, like that that album is just different and they just did what they wanted. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like the lyrics uh in those style of bands it's a little more uh they're different anyway, you know. Even look at bands like The Hope Conspiracy. That that wasn't like a typical hardcore band. That band was all over the place. Yeah, that's a wild band. That's hard for and me to Dutch Armstrong, same thing. I mean, there's a lot of bands. Those guys are like real good musicians, right? They're like fucking crazy with that shit. Yeah, I grew up um out here in Bucks County, which like one of our hometown bands was that band This Day Forward from back in the day and Oh yeah. They that, that was my first introduction into actual metalcore. Okay. All right. That band's still phenomenal. I don't know. Are they still around? Um, they're in different bands now. Uh, two of the members are in Circus Survive, which is like a super huge band. Um, Vadim is playing guitar in Poison the Well now. Um, Mike Shaw, their singer, is like a poker star. The dude's really, really good at poker. Poker star. Nice. Yeah, so um, if they ever play a reunion show and we don't play it, I'm going to destroy things. Would they throw you on? I would pay to play that show. I don't care. It's one of the bands that made me super interested in what I do as a musician. Nice. Cody putting it out really there, baby. Me. Don't make a move without Cody, you motherfuckers. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't pay. That was a lie. However, I'd be really, really pissed. You'd buy him a drink and then and, and pat him on the back and say, thank you. I appreciate this uh, gesture yeah. of you letting me uh, play right before you on the show. Here, Here's Red Bulls. Thank you, guys. There you go. You did a good thing. <laughs> but yeah i'm i'm hoping um i'm hoping the future keeps getting better and people keep putting emotion and realness into what they do one of my favorite things about your band specifically is you need more blue collar bands that are just about being good people and having fun and playing hardcore you need more band we had this talk the other day at the gym about your band oh yeah anybody talk any shit i'll give them a smack um, I don't think there's anything to talk shit about. You guys okay, are like hey, just making sure I don't know what gym you go to. If you go to the wrong gym, maybe you talk. No, I go to LA Fitness where it's mostly all just rap playing all the time, but it's cool. It's just the people I was working out with. Like, there's not enough blue collar bands left that are, you know, nine to five working dudes that literally do music because they love to do it. Yeah, it's kind of embarrassing, but that's basically what it is, you know. I don't think that's embarrassing at all. I think that's actual America. <laughs> It's in bed. We're just losers. We can never make it in the music biz, but we like it anyway. We keep that's on not it. it. Would, would you give up your job to make it in the music biz? Yes, two seconds. I would put would a, really? a, a wig on and makeup. Put me in any band. I couldn't. Boys I to couldn't men. do it, Richie. I could not do that. No, nah, I'm kidding. I mean, if I like the music, yeah, but I would not just for any music. No, like yeah, if I could, if I made a living from playing music that I liked, great. Yeah, yeah but even just like I like working hard and having something to show for it. And I feel like with music, you're gone all the time. Like if you're going to make it big. Yeah. I'd rather be the middle of the road band. that just plays a little bit. You know, if I could just, you know, make a couple fuzzles here and there, you know, come Dude, home, go to sleep. You get, you get to see the world with some of your best friends. Like that's the coolest part about music. I don't give a fuck about money. I can make plenty of money and work my ass off. The point is, is their memories that you get to experience with people that you call your brother all over the globe. And that's some shit that other people will never experience. Yeah, no, I, I'm just teasing. I can't complain. We, we, we've been very uh, fortunate. Now, I've traveled with you guys. You guys just eat really good and have fun. Yeah, we're not trying to be bitches with each other, be nasty and shit. No, nah, even, even when I was younger, when I first started, I mean, you guys were the easiest band. I've, I just had to be myself. See that? And that's I- all. That's it. And I'm don't be wrong. I have my days where I'm real annoying or real depressed and real over the place. But you guys have always just accepted me for me. I mean, fortunately, when I, when we knew you when you were younger, you didn't pull a poem out of your pocket or anything that could have really kind of nah. destabilized the relationship with us. But otherwise, <laughs> no, nah, I'm kidding. I'm teasing. Uh, I would have loved that do. if somebody, if a kid did that. And while I'm here, want to check out my poem? I'm like, what the yeah? Let's see what you got, son. Damn. I wasn't. I wasn't honest about poetry. People just saw me writing all the time. They're like, what's that? I'm like, don't fucking worry about it. 
Uh, you know, Matt Jones a little like that too with the with the right. So you see him in the corner jotting stuff down. Mm-hmm. So no, it's a part of the whole game. It's a good, it's a good quality. Matt, Matt Joe gave me one of the the best experiences of uh, like before a set ever. We played Tsunami Fest with you guys the one year, and it was my first time like playing. I guess like a bigger fest like that, especially like a hometown fest. And I remember going out to help them set up, and he grabbed me. He's like, "You got to let it like be mysterious. Just wait." Just wait, yeah. and walk out there when they're ready. And I never thought of it like that. I was like, man, dude knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. It's just him getting out of lifting anything heavy, that bastard. Well, I mean, it's really helped me in this career of mine of not lifting anything heavy as well. It's really nice. Yeah. No, he's right, though. The singer shouldn't be out there doing this. Neither should the, any of us. I mean, there should be a team of people setting everything up <laughs> for us. And the, the, the curtains go up and then we're there with the, with the spotlight. But it doesn't work like that, unfortunately. So we give, yeah, Joe, we give Joe the honor of being the mysterious guy that comes out at, at the very end. <laughs> <laughs> I just I never thought of it like that. And like now I try to do it unless a lot of the time we're never like the headliner and we're never really the opener. We're always in the middle. So somehow, whenever I get up there, I'm like, all right, guys, do your thing. They're like, all right, you got to hurry up. I'm like, shit, I got to step in there now. And I got to do this. Yeah, nah, don't even listen to them. Or if you have to be on stage while they're setting up, be like on one knee with your head down, all creepy looking or something. Give a vibe. Yeah, get like a get a crazy like North Carolina town, put it over my head and swing yeah, around. Yeah, do a James Brown and pop up with that towel flying. I'm pretty big. I don't think I'm popping up anywhere, but I could slowly get up. You slowly get up. Like, like <laughs> Like the jack in the box that's on its like last wine that's like real dead coming out, you know. I'm I'm definitely one last wine away from a mental breakdown. It's every day. <laughs> My man. Yo, Cody, what else you want these people to know? You want to see um, some anything? shows coming up? We got some shows coming up. Uh February 5th for Philly Hardcore shows. We're doing a record release show with uh On Site, who is a great band from New Jersey. Same thing with this band, Greater Pain. I love those dudes. Um, this band Grace, which is like old members of Suburban Scum and Descent. It's good. This band, uh, Model Prisoner, it's their first show. Their Striegel put them on the show. And then um, Mark and Biz and Dumb Ugly are opening the show because I really, really like hip-hop. Yeah, they're cool, too. That's that's some cool stuff. Oh, they're out of their mind. And then um, we have a small well, Where's run. that show at, though? Where is it at? That's at the pharmacy in South Philly. Um, oh. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be heavy, and it's going to be hopefully a lot of people. And then we have um, a run in March with a band called fever strike from North Carolina, which is our buddy, Teddy and Nacho. Yeah, no doubt. 19th to the 21st of March. And other than that, you know, we're going to keep trying to pick up shows where we can play weekends where we can, and just uh, try to keep doing this thing for us. Beautiful. That's, that's the only, that's the only good reason to do it. All right, man. I appreciate the talk. And, uh, we're going to blast out this whole episode with that new track. So that's cool. That's cool, right? Thank you very much for having me. It's always a pleasure that I get to talk to you, and I'm hoping I didn't screw it up too bad. No, baby. If people wanted to hear Cody. I've been getting emails left and right. The whole computer crashed. Cody, Cody, Cody. Damn, let me get this kid on before they kill me. <laughs> I really appreciate you having me, and hopefully I can be on again in the future, and we can have some talks. Anytime, homie. All right, brother. Check out this new song, everybody. I'll talk to you soon, Cody. Yo, Cody, intro the song for us. Uh, this song is off the upcoming album and it's called my death was a banquet and I hope you really enjoy it and buy the whole album because every song is good.
thousand dreams within me. Softly burn.